Hello and thank you for downloading this edition of Grazia Life Advice. I'm Rhiannon and each episode we meet a new woman worth listening to. We get the six pieces of advice they swear by and want to pass on to others and right at the end we get the worst tip they've ever been given. As you'll know from last week, we are putting our podcast out fortnightly now in 2021. So look for us every second Friday in your podcast feed. This time we have with us a TEDx speaker, author, podcaster and one of the UK's biggest motivational speakers. Hi everyone, I'm Adrienne Herbert. I am a digital entrepreneur. Like so many of us, I do so many things. I am a mother, a marathon runner, a podcast host, and now author of Power Hour. Adrienne's Power Hour concept is all about intentionally setting aside the first hour of every day for you to focus on something you love or that you really want to do. The way we start our day and and starting with intention and something that makes you feel good, it really does set the tone for the rest of your day. I say it's like the first domino to fall. Coming up, we get to the roots of Adrienne's super organised lifestyle and motivation. For me, it came out of necessity. So I grew up with a single mother in a single parent household, in a low income household. I'm an older sibling. And so I had responsibility. I had to take care of my brother and sister. I had to roll up my sleeves and figure it out. Also, Adrienne tackles the idea that to have something, you just have to want it bad enough. The reality is that usually it takes hard work. Usually it takes consistency. Usually it takes repetition. That's the thing. People don't want to do the same thing again and again and again. Oh, I've done that, Adrienne, for six weeks. It didn't work. Oh, I've been trying this for six months. It didn't work. Maybe it takes six years. So if you are ready to feel the power for yourself, let's get into it. Here's Adrienne. Hi, Adrienne. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. I'm feeling quite energised. The start of the week, not so much. But today I feel like I've got my mojo back. I've got my energy back. Oh, wow. Okay, well, that's good because I was really relying on you to pick me up today. I've I've read all about you and I think you're going to help everybody who's struggling quite a lot today. Um, For anybody who doesn't know anything about you, unlikely, because, you know, as you say, you're across all of our platforms now. What is your ethos about what's your book about? And tell us about Power Hour, which is your podcast. So yeah, I guess I'll start with that. Power Hour, the concept itself, is all about starting your day with one hour where you reclaim some time before the rest of the world needs your time, energy, attention and focus. There are so many demands on our time now from the moment we open our eyes in the morning to the moment we go to bed. So I really encourage people to take a power hour, which is, as I say, the first hour to do anything that you want to do, the thing that you normally say, oh, I wish I had more time, I would do that. Or, oh, when I've got more time, I'll read that book or do more yoga or go for a run and actually start your day with that thing. Choose the thing on your list, circle it and make it a priority for yourself. I believe that it's the way we start our day and and starting with intention and something that makes you feel good. It really does set the tone for the rest of your day. I say it's like the first domino to fall. So since I started doing a power hour myself years ago, I saw the benefits. I felt great. I saw how I was able to get more done, carve out that time, as I said, for solitude, to train for a marathon or to read more books or to create my own work. And then I decided to start a podcast and ask other people, what's their morning routine? What 
gets them out of bed, what motivates them to start their day and, and all different people from different industries, all different high performers from Olympic athletes to business CEOs to doctors, you name it. Every week I get to speak to a different person. And then that evolved into writing the Power Hour book. And that's out now, isn't it? And tell me about that. Yeah. So it's kind of, I'd say it's a hybrid of my personal lived experience some guest interviews and also a lot of research. So a lot of the topics that I cover in the book, I've broken it down into intersections of movement, habits, sleep, mindset, purpose, and people. And a lot of the questions that I get asked the most, whether it's from podcasts, whether it's through social media or, or the work and clients that I work with, I broke it down into those sections to hopefully one, motivate and inspire and encourage, because I think hearing people's stories, hearing people's lived experience, I think is really, really powerful. But also the reason I've included so much data and research and actionable things is because I think feeling motivated or feeling encouraged is great, but it's not enough. We need to know the steps that we need to take. We need actionable advice. We need things we can actually stress test and say, okay, if I want to create this life, if I want to increase my income or I want to get fitter and stronger or faster, whatever you want to achieve, you need benchmarks, you need a process. So it's definitely a combination of science and research and data, lived experience, stories, quotes, and I hope that it will as well as motivating people, give them a bit of a blueprint and some steps to creating their life and and achieving their goals. And that obviously all sounds absolutely fantastic. And I'm already thinking, okay, what time do I need to get up? Which I think is what everyone's question will be. I mean, is it realistic? Can everyone fit it in? I read that you tend to get up about around 5.30, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I get up at 5.30 and I know that some people just, no, I don't want to hear that. It's too early for me. So what I say is the principles remain and I do believe that it needs to be the first hour, but I don't dictate what time that is. You know, everyone's life is different. Everyone's circumstances and routines and situations are different. But the reason I think there's a lot of reasons, actually, that I think it should be the first hour, but I'll just maybe give one example. So one example of of an an exercise that I share in the mindset chapter is called six questions to answer before six. And I share this list of six questions that I answered every morning, every single day for about four months. Questions might be, what is the energy that I want to have today? Or who could I learn from today? Or what am I most looking forward to today? And so I answer these six questions every morning. Now, with some of the research, as I said, that I was doing, I discovered Jim Quick, and he is a mind guy. He's the brain guy. Everything from memory to learning techniques, he is the go-to guy when it comes to all things brain. So he gives this this, uh, theory around if I gave you a story to read and then after you read the short story I gave you a list of questions to answer it would be more difficult for you to recall the detail and the information from the text that you just read but if I gave you the questions beforehand and said here's some questions now read this short story you would be looking for the answers as you're reading the text So I kind of believe the same thing applies to this exercise. Before I go to bed at night, if I think back on the day and try to reflect and remember, it's harder to recall the details. Whereas because I start my day with the questions, you know, who could I help today? 
what am I most looking forward to? What am I most grateful for? Who would love to hear from me today? Throughout my day, I'm looking for the answers. I'm looking for who can I help today or who could I learn from? And actually, I notice the things more and I have a moment sometimes, this is pre-lockdown, where I might have written down in the morning, the thing I'm most looking forward to today is watching my son in his swimming lesson. So then when I go to his swimming lesson, I'm then not you know, thinking about my emails or looking at my phone or I'm actually like, this was the thing that this morning I was looking forward to the most. And now I'm here, let me enjoy it, let me recognize it. So that's just one small example of, you know, when people say, well, why should it be in the morning? And why does it have to be early? Why can't I do this later on? And of course, as I say, the principles apply having focused time, doing something for yourself. You could do that at any time, but I truly believe there's something about the morning. There's something about it being early and the rest of the world being asleep and there's no distractions. There's no kids, emails, WhatsApps. You can really have solitude and that is hard to find later in the day. Yeah. I mean, you are literally getting a head start, aren't you, on everybody else in the day. And can I ask, are you in bed early? Do you get that hour back at the end of the day? Absolutely. So I do not advocate for sleep deprivation. Sleep is so fundamental to our health. It underpins everything. So yes, if you've never read Matthew Walker, Why We Sleep, then do that. And if you have read it, then you don't need me to tell you about the benefits of sleep. So yeah, I I go to bed early. I'm in bed before 10 and up at half five. Yeah, fantastic. And I think we should say as well, you know, everyone can say they're busy, but you are so busy. As you were saying, you've got like six different careers going on and we do all have the chance to fit it in, I guess, if that's what we want our focus to be. Yeah, I think, you know, the idea of busyness and and we all say, you know, oh, we're busy, busy, busy. And I've actually, for 2021, I have banned the word busy from coming out of my mouth because I think busyness has become almost a yeah, badge of honor or, or a status of, oh, how busy can you be? Because if you're busy you must be in demand. Everything's going great. When in reality, I believe the opposite is true. I think if I'm really busy, I haven't planned very well. I'm overcommitted. I'm spreading myself thin and I can't really go deep on anything. I absolutely love that. And I think lots of people will be relating to what you're saying and we could all do banning the word busy. That's great. Yes. So I feel like we've had loads of advice from you already, but we should move into your six pieces of advice and I love your first one. What a great phrase. Could you tell us your first piece of advice? Yes. So my first piece of advice is build the well before you're thirsty. I heard this from Jordan Harbinger. So I don't want to take credit for his work. So I heard it from him. In a business context, he was referring to, you know, networking and saying, you know, build a network and, you know, invest in relationships before you quote unquote, need them. You know, don't just go to someone when you need something or you you know you need a favor or you need a, a reference or you need a, a new job, but actually build the, build the network and invest into it. But I thought about the phrase, you know, build the well before you're thirsty. And I thought it actually applies to so many things. You know, if you're, for example, you know, when I sat down to write the book, I had been talking about this concept. I'd been reading about it, researching it for I feel like I've been doing nothing else for five years. So all of the the podcasts, the psychologists, the nutritionists, the, the sleep scientists, all of those events, those talks, those interviews, in a way that's building the well. You know, I was doing that way before I even thought, let me write a book. So it wasn't the case of sitting down and then saying, oh, I want to write a book. What's it going to be about? Where do I start? 
I think that's so smart. And you could, as you say, apply it to every part of your life right now. Do we feel, I mean, I have to ask you as someone who's all about motivation and getting things going and helping people along. Do we feel at this moment in time, we're talking January 2021, our worlds are all a bit empty and there's not really a lot of ways we can replenish them right now. And how should we be dealing with that? Mm, Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah, and maybe thinking about it in that way, maybe now is, you know, winter time. I kind of think it feels often like, you know, if you think about nature and it's like a hibernation time. It's not, maybe it's not the time to go, 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 do all the things, you know, start everything, but maybe it is the foundational time, build the well. So maybe it's the time when you read more, research what you want to do. Maybe it's the time when you rest and let your body recover. And then, you know, when the springtime comes and hopefully, you know, restrictions change. And so you're actually, you're ready then to go. Maybe then you feel re-energized and rested. And definitely right now, it's such a difficult time. I don't think anyone feels rested and re-energized, regardless of whether you're sleeping well with your working I think there's so much uncertainty and heaviness in the world that of course it's it's debilitating actually and it's it's exhausting so yeah I do say uh, it's not one of my pieces of advice but I often say know when to start know when to continue and know when to stop and maybe this isn't the time to start but as I say maybe it's just the time to to build the foundation so we're ready and raring and ready to go as soon as we can Yeah, I love that. What a great positive spin on everything we're going through right now. Your second piece of advice is write the vision, make it clear. And I guess we kind of already talked about that. And but tell me more, is that something you do throughout your life? Yes. So write the vision, make it clear. That's actually from the Bible. And so a friend of mine who she quotes a lot of scripture from from the Bible, but that really stuck in my mind because she was talking about you know, when we talk about having a goal or, you know, a lot of people talk about having a vision board or, or kind of, you know, using our creative imagination to visualize what do we want to do. And and when I've worked with Natalie Pennicoat Collier, who is a, a mind coach and hypnotherapist, and she works a lot with elite sports athletes to help them with visualization techniques to visualize before the big race or before the, the final match. And so it's really, really powerful stuff. And it, and it really does work. We know the science behind it from a neurological perspective it really does there's a lot to it it's not just oh close your eyes and dream for it so the reason the friend as I said that quotes the scripture from the bible is that she always says you know the last part is the bit that often people miss which is the make it clear you can say to me oh my goal is to earn more money or my goal is to get fit but those goals are so vague. We have to make it clear. Well, what do you mean earn more money? Do you want to earn 10% more or do you want to double your income? Do you want to get fit or do you want to increase your endurance and actually become a better runner? Do you want to become stronger and lift heavier weights? Make it clear, I think, is the, the missing part. So for me, I'm someone, I make big plans. I have big audacious goals. I write an annual plan. I do it in September because two reasons. One, it's my birthday. So it's the start of my year. And two, it's like the back to school energy. So in September, I do an annual plan and it covers everything. Personal goals, professional goals, health, travel, finance. It's all in there, but I make it clear. I make it detailed, granular. And it's almost like, um, yeah, a bit of a guide for me for the year. I love that because I that's totally right. I always miss the making 
make it clear a bit. And I think it whenever people give out advice, they always miss that bit too, right? It's always like, oh, write it down, aim for it. And it's these big, big goals without kind of a plan. Um, what goals are you working on at the moment? I know that you're running a lot and you're working towards a lot of things. Tell us about your goals for, for the moment. So running, I am running a lot. I hope to run my first ever ultra marathon this year in 2021. So all being well, if, if the race goes ahead in September, it is then yeah I'll be running a five day a five day ultra marathon and even saying that to you now I'm feeling the 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 nerves I'm feeling the nerves and I'm not even not even doing it yet but that's that's the goal I'm working towards so what that looks like right now is just maintaining uh cardiovascular you know 50 60k a week that's going to I'm sure increase very quickly and also working on my core stability so doing a lot of pilates to make sure that I'm kind of bulletproofing my body for all the road running so that's my yeah running goal right now uh, I'd say in a professional world I I'm a director of innovation and performance at the UK's leading fitness outfit and we're doing so many exciting things this year and I just honestly I, I could talk about that for so long but we're doing so many exciting things there so I guess on a professional level I'm excited to see what that new role brings and how I can hopefully have an impact there. So yeah, working on that. And obviously the book's out now. So doing lots of lots of exciting things and, and press opportunities and writing for other publications and yeah, see where it goes. Yeah, you wrote something for us at Grazia, which was great. Your third piece of advice is that it's never too late to start. Okay, great. Well, it's never too late to start. I truly believe it. I think that we're all we're all capable of transformation and change. And I think once we accept or or decide actually that change is a good thing and change is exciting and we can embrace change, I think it's really powerful. And I don't think it's ever too late to start anything, whether it's a new relationship, a new business, you know, move to another country, whatever you want. And actually, I think that when I look back at how people in the past have spoken to me about change, it's always been with this kind of negative thing of, oh, you know, that person has changed their mind. Or, you know, if you change your, I don't know, job often, then maybe you're seen as flaky. Or if someone changes their hairstyle and their wardrobe, then suddenly, oh, they're having a crisis or a breakdown. It's always associated with negativity. When actually I'm like, how, who wants to remain the same I certainly don't you know who wants to remain the same forever it's you know we have one life to live we're going to experience it once why not make it varied and exciting and so I often say to people whether they're in their 20s 30s 40s 50s 60s whatever the thing is you really want to do it is never too late it's never too late to get a pair of running shoes and be a beginner it's never too late to figure out how to build a website or use Instagram stories. It's never too late to reach out to someone. It's never too late ever. So I truly believe it. And I hope that I will continue with that on for the rest of my life. It makes it more exciting thinking about the way we age too. I mean, when you talked about running, I started running last year when I was 35. I wouldn't say I love it now, but you know, I'm doing it. I can do it. And I was never good when I was a teenager. So it's a weird thing where I'm now like, okay, I'm better at something now than I was when I was a teenager. And I always find that a really helpful thought for me that you're kind of advancing and changing and not kind of subscribing to the idea of society's idea of aging being this bad thing. 
Yeah, there's yeah, there's been huge change for me. And I think back to, you know, saying about being a teenager, I think back to being a teenager and being at school and the way I learn and I didn't access education in the way that I learn now. Now I'm a voracious learner and it's because I've figured out that I'm an auditory learner so I can listen to an audiobook in a week and I retain the information. I can recall it and tell you verbatim what the words were but when I read a book it would take me much longer so that's how I'm able to read or listen to 50 books a year so I can learn in a different way and I'm 33 now and it's taken me I wish I'd known that you know when I was 16 I would have been different so yeah I think it's never too late and I really 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 want people to hear that yeah absolutely we'll be back with more after this I'm back with Adrienne and we've got loads of great advice still to come can you start off with your fourth piece of advice yes my fourth piece is the perfect time doesn't exist again conversations that we all have you know when I'm older I'm gonna do that when I have more money I'm gonna do that when I've lost weight, then I'll start that. All of these things, if not, if but, when. And actually that perfect time that you're waiting for, it's never going to be different until you decide to take action, until you decide to implement change. It will not be different. Next Thursday, we'll still have the same amount of hours. Next week, next month, next year. Once you decide and you make that decision, and that's what it is, it's a decision. Don't wait for permission from someone else. Don't wait for validation from someone to to encourage you to you know get the promotion or go for the job you know your capabilities your contribution is valuable now so don't wait for this elusive perfect time there is no perfect time no absolutely and do you think that's a societal thing that's told us like well you should be doing this in your 20s this in your 30s this in your 40s and is and do you have to kind of cast that away to to move away from this idea yeah maybe I think there's probably there's probably an element of that for sure of thinking oh I should be doing this by now or, oh, I shouldn't be doing that anymore. I think, yeah, maybe there is a bit of that, but I think it's a fear-based thing as well. It's a way of procrastination. It's a way of putting it off and saying, oh, I can't launch this yet because it's not perfect or, oh, I can't start my own podcast because XXX. That's where I think it's a fear-based thing where it's actually, it's a way of putting it off until, you know, we've got the perfect plan or figured out all the different steps. Sometimes you just have to start. That's what I was going to ask. Is that something that you've learned to do? Or have you always been one of those people who's just been like, right, I'm doing this, go. I'll be really honest with you. And I touch on this a little bit in the book. I think for me, it came out of necessity. So I grew up with a single mother in a single parent household in a low income household. I'm an older sibling. And so I had responsibility. I had to take care of my brother and sister. I had to roll up my sleeves and figure it out. So I think it kind of came out of necessity, probably a little bit of, you know, nature nurture. There's probably a bit of in my DNA to just say, oh, give it a go. But actually, I don't think I had a choice. You know, sometimes I've got friends who will say, well, how did you know how to do that? I'm like, well, I had to just figure it out. So maybe because I did that in like a quite a practical way growing up, whether it was learning to cook or do the washing machine or whatever. I think later on in life when it came to, you know, how do you, I don't know, book a flight or how do you start a website? Or I think I just did the same thing applied. I was like, oh, I'll figure it out. Crack on basically. Yeah. Your fifth piece of advice. I'm really interested in this. Tell me your fifth piece of advice. My fifth piece of advice is you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And that is something I have to remind myself of all the time, because as you can probably tell, if you've listened this far, 
I do a lot of things and I have big ambition. And so of course I want to say, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. I'm a recovering, recovering people pleaser. So you can do anything. And that sounds so cliche, like you can do anything. But truly, I think, you know, given the right environment, the right application, repetition, hard work, discipline, I do believe you can do anything. But trying to do it all, trying to do everything every day, that's not possible. And I think that's where people get stuck or burnt out or, or, or whatever. So yeah, I think anything you want to do, focus on it, make it a goal, break it down, go for it. Don't let anyone tell you, you know, that's unrealistic. I hate the word unrealistic. It's realistic once you do it. So yeah, anything, but not everything. And how do you manage that? I mean, how do you manage it personally, I guess, stepping back from things sometimes? Well, again, I'm a processes and data person. So the way I approach it, I'm very, very fortunate to have, you know, a variety of, I guess, opportunities, you know, whether it's inbound opportunities or whether it's me kind of creating things. But I think, yeah, to avoid trying to do everything, the way I look at it in, in, in I guess, a process kind of way is in three categories of one being, this is something that I'm doing because I love it or because I'm learning or because it's a passion project or it's just, I love it and I would do it for free. And I just, it brings me joy and it gives me more energy than it takes. So that's category number one. Category number two is this is a part of my work or part of my life, which is bringing me revenue because I have a mortgage and I have bills and I have a son and it's life. So this is something that I'm doing to pay bills. It's revenue. And hopefully it crosses over into that thing that you love and you enjoy, but it's revenue and it's work. And then the third section is, this is something that I'm doing in service of others. So whether that's mentoring, whether that's going and and speaking somewhere for free, whether that's whatever it is, it's like, this is service of others. So it's neither of those. And again, hopefully it crosses over into enjoyment. Like I enjoy mentoring young people, but that's how I try and break it down. So when there's inbound requests and when I'm looking at my plan and my schedule, am I ticking all three of those? Because if it's all one, it's never going to work. I can't just do all things for free. I can't just do all things that earn me money, but don't help anybody else. It's got to be, it's got to be all three. Your sixth piece of advice is that it takes what it takes. So can you explain that to me? I mean, it sounds simple, but how does that play out in your life? Yes, this one, I'm really excited to talk about this because I think hard work is something that at the moment we're being told, you know, don't work too hard, don't, you know, this 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 kind of cultural thing of, you know, everyone's, you know, going to burn out and self-care this and self-care that, which I think is so important. And it's great that we've had, we can have that honest conversation and that people aren't expected to just work and work and work and burn out. It's important. But I think on the flip side of it is that we're also being kind of sold a lie that says, you know, you can wish for it, dream for it and still Netflix and chill, but you can still get it. And I think it's a kind of a lie. And so this thing of it takes what it takes is that I truly believe, as I've said, you can do anything, you can create the life that you love, you can achieve any goal, but it takes what it takes. And the reality is that usually it takes hard work. Usually it takes consistency. Usually it takes repetition. That's the thing. People don't want to do the same thing again and again and again. Oh, I've done that Adrian for six weeks. It didn't work. Oh, I've been trying this for six months. It didn't work. Maybe, maybe it takes six years. Maybe, you know, I've been doing things now for eight, nine years, the same things. And it's that 1% improvement, 1% closer, everything from habits to, you know, habits, people say, how long does it take to form a new habit? And again, in the research for the habits chapter of the book, 
I say it's not 90 days, it's not five days, it's not 30 days, it's all these different stats. It takes what it takes. You are an individual, different to me. It might take me 100 days, it might take you five days. It takes what it takes. Yeah. And I think that is not a depressing you know, notion that you might have to try a long time. It's helpful, isn't it? Because it makes you feel like, well, if I'm not good at running or doing burpees after my 30-day challenge, then I should give up. It's like, actually, no, there is still value in keeping going. Absolutely. And as I say about being sold the lie, I think it's managing your expectation. You know, I've interviewed athletes on the show, Olympians, Dame Kelly Holmes, perfect example. 10 years between, you know, her perceived successes and her double gold, 10 years of training, injuries, hard work, repetition. And so if I said to you, you're going to get that goal, you are going to achieve that in 10 years, would you still keep going? Would you be motivated every day? It's hard sometimes for, yeah, I can say we've been sold a lie. It's a fast, fast economy on demand. Download it now. Do this thing and get a million followers tomorrow. It's, it's almost that if, if it's not fast, I don't want it. That's why I think it's, it's the, the sold a lie thing is that we're actually, we need to manage people's expectations, manage your own expectations and say, if this takes me two years, four years, eight years, do I still want it? If the answer is yes, it takes what it takes. Yeah, absolutely. And I want it because you've touched on it a little bit. I mean, people might call you an influencer, for instance, but obviously, you know, you have a book, a podcast, everything behind you. Is there something in this influencer culture? I mean, when I'm talking about Love Island influence, you know, these Atari or this kind of thing, this kind of, oh, actually, I get paid 10K to go on a holiday to Dubai vibes. And that's what people think life is. I mean, A, like, do you think that's part of it? And B, do you find it frustrating that just kind of everyone on the internet is clubbed under this same umbrella of influencer? Mm, Oh my gosh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I guess. I think, yeah, the word influencer, I definitely think that it's, yeah, I wouldn't describe myself as that, but then you're right. Some people would. Some people would say, oh, you know, you're a fitness influencer and you partner with fitness brands and all of that. And I think, I don't know, I don't want to kind of like snub it because I do think, yeah, it's a part of the world now and it's um, a career and it's, it is what it is. But I do think that in terms of an aspiration, I think sometimes people just aspire to the wrong part of it. So it is, you know, let me, how do I, the question, you know, how do you get more followers or how do you get a bigger audience? And it's kind of like, well, what do you want the audience for? What are you, what is the value you're adding to that audience? Because I believe, you know, just from a entrepreneurial perspective or a business focus you can have 1000 you know uh, tim ferris talks about 1000 true fans you can have 1000 people that subscribe to your service or listen to your podcast or buy your product or attend your course or your workshop or your yoga class and that actually is so much more powerful than maybe having 100,000 followers that like your photos what what is that you know what are we aspiring to here so yeah i mean i have an online community which I as some people would say is a small community it's not millions some people would say it's a huge community because it's thousands so yeah I think if you're aspiring to have an audience to share your voice your work your service your skills then great of course in the world now we need it you know I have a digital platform but I think it's what are we what are the metrics that you're chasing yeah love that We always like to end the podcast on the worst piece of advice you've ever been given. And uh, I wonder if you could just tell me that. So the common advice that I don't think has been helpful for me is this idea that you should silence your inner critic and forget about self-doubt. And the reason I don't think that's necessary, and this might be a very unpopular opinion, who knows, is because sometimes our inner critic or our self-doubt or whatever 
I don't think we should listen to it to a point of, you know, if it's debilitating and if it's you just beating yourself up, then of course it's not helpful. But actually sometimes what if the inner critic and the self-doubt is telling you something true? Maybe there's a work project that you've been working on. You haven't given it your all. You couldn't really be bothered. You've done a, you know, bare minimum effort, just got it done. And then you go, oh, you know what? I didn't really give that my best. I was oh, I'm a bit worried about handing that in. I was a little bit lazy. And someone will say, oh, don't, don't put yourself down. Oh, you're not lazy. Maybe you are lazy. Maybe you actually, the truth is you didn't give it your all. You couldn't be bothered and you know that. So I think sometimes in, in, in contrast to that, to put it in a more positive way, if I was going to do a talk and I was stepping out on, on a stage in front of 300 people, which I've you know done many times and I've prepared and I know what I'm going to say and I know the topic inside out and I've rehearsed and I've, I know I've, I've rehearsed the people's names that I'm going to introduce. So I'm not going to pronounce their names wrong. If I have done the work and I've been diligent, I don't feel nervous because I've prepared. But if I hadn't done that work and if I turn up on the day and the inner critic or the self-doubt is saying, Adrienne, you haven't really prepared for this. You know, you, that's true. So I think this idea that just, oh, ignore it and kind of, you know, build your confidence because just ignore the, mm, I think there's, yeah, maybe not the worst advice I've ever had, but it's something that I challenge myself on to go listen to the self-critic because often it's highlighting something that really you need to give a bit more attention to. Yeah. And also you can silence the inner critic by doing the work as well, is what you're saying, isn't it? Which I think is important to know. That's a way of silencing, not just ignoring it. Mm, exactly. Fantastic. Well, after listening to this, I'm sure everyone's ready and up and raring to go. Thank you so much, Adrienne. And your podcast, The Power Hour, is full of this stuff with loads of guests too. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Well, I am inspired. As well as the podcast, Adrian has a book. It's setting out all her motivational mindset and goal setting methods. And just like the podcast, that is called The Power Hour and it is out now. Thanks to you for being with us. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back in a fortnight's time with podcast host and DJ Edith Bowman. See you then.